0: pray for the leaders of this congregation uh, you know who they are and now two new ones have come so let's just pray for these these folks right now take a moment to pray for someone Get a specific face in your mind right now, someone who's struggling with their faith. Take a moment to pray for someone. Again, picture that person in your mind and someone who is sick or struggling with health issues. Now take a moment to pray for an individual who is not walking with the Lord and because of that is is struggling with sin in their life and just put that person in your mind and pray for them. take a moment to pray for those in our province who are fighting fires and dealing with property loss or fear of loss because of wildfires right now. Please pray for some who are struggling with tragedy, such as shootings and terrorist attacks or natural disasters right now. And as God's word suggests, pray for leaders. National national, and world leaders, some of them desperately need guidance. Father, we're here to worship you this morning, and the scripture that we're looking at this morning talks about your nature and your character. And getting to know you and what our response to that should be. And we pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit, that we will see more clearly not only who you are and what you've done, but what our response should be and how it should guide us today. We know in all these situations that we pray for that your word tells us we need to pray in faith. And so we pray that you would increase our faith, that we would trust you and believe that you were at work in all these situations. And help us, Father, to just have that faith multiplied today. And we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the psalmist, David, who didn't write all the psalms but wrote the majority of the psalms, at one place in scripture is, is called the man after God's own heart. Because He seemed to, especially as a young man when he was a shepherd and writing the Psalms, he seemed to have a very good ability to sit on the hillside, perhaps in an environment much like we live in B.C., watching his sheep, and to gain insight into the very character and nature of God. Now, if we took all the things that David says about God's nature and character from all the Psalms we would be here for a very long time, and the pizza would get cold, and then I would be on the outs with everybody. So we're not going to do that, but we're going to look at Psalm number 103, and it kind of focuses on a specific side of the nature of God and his ways. Now, it's interesting, Jaron, I've never met before this morning. Great-looking guy, got curly hair, got a nice little soul patch there, looking cool. If, if I was to get to know Jaron... On a personal basis, which I hope maybe we can do. It's going to depend on him revealing some things to me through either just conversation or deciding to show that part of himself about who he is on the inside. And it would also take observation from me to watch Jaron and his interaction with people and his life. And by watching what he does, his ways, I would get to know him. By him showing himself to me and by my observing what he does. And it's the same way with all our relationships. If you look around you and say, who is the person in this room that I know the best? That's the person that you've probably spent the most time with, but also who have had the most open relationship with. And God, fortunately for us, is willing to, to reveal much about himself to us. He doesn't reveal everything about himself to us because we could not handle it, to be quite honest. You know, when you think of who God is, the creator of heaven and earth, and I know not everybody believes that, but when we take the scope of who God really is, it is beyond our comprehension. But in this psalm, David does, Give us some insight about God. Now, I've got two quotes here that I've found from two men who are considered to be brilliant. One is a quote from Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History in Time. Now, I have not read the book, so obviously I can't speak as an expert. I did see and watch a quite an interesting movie based on the life of Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking does not claim to be a Christian or even a believer in God, But at the end of this book, and I know that he later said he didn't know if he should put this in his book or not, he says this, However, if we discover a complete theory, it would be in time, should in time be understandable by everyone, not just by a few scientists. Then we shall all, philosophers, scientists, and just ordinary people, be able to take part in the discussion of the question of why it is that we and the universe exist. If we find the answer to that, it should be ultimate triumph of human reason For then we should know the mind of God. Now, isn't it interesting that I believe God's word does answer that question of why we exist. So we are on the inside of this picture, folks. And we have the privilege of having the mind of God, what God is like, revealed to us in scripture. Now, if you don't take scripture as being God's word, if it's just an old dusty old book, then you're going to miss out on this. But God's word does give us an insight into the mind of God. Albert Einstein, also another brilliant scientist, mathematician, has said this, the Lord does not play dice. And it is in a similar way that we have to interpret his statement now inscribed over a fireplace in the fine hall in Princeton University, God who creates in his nature is very difficult to understand, but he's not arbitrary or malicious. Now, even in his atheistic kind of position, Albert Einstein realized that God is not just you know up there playing dice with the universe. He's not arbitrary. He's not malicious. So even Albert Einstein, in his study of the universe began to get some insight into the nature of God. But it is the psalmist David that we're thankful this morning, who had a relationship with God, who does give us insight into him. And in verse number 8, now I want you to understand, there's a very big difference between who we are and what we do. But sometimes when we describe people or situations, we wind up describing their ways rather than their nature. And in verse number eight, the the psalmist says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, in this psalm, this is the only verse in which I could find that David actually describes the nature of God. Then he spends quite a bit of time talking about the ways of God. Now, the ways of an individual reflect who he is. Would we not say that? The way you treat people, the way you talk, reflect what's really going on in you and who you are. And there's four things that he says about God here, and these are not, by any stretch, the only four things that God is. But he says that God is merciful, he's gracious, he's patient, which is slow to anger, and he's loving. He is, by very nature, a loving God. Now, if we took some of David's other psalms, we would find out that he also says God is he's holy, he's righteous, he is an angry God sometimes. He has another side to his nature, but in this psalm, David focuses on these characteristics of who God is. Now, I have to confess, one of our guilty pleasures is we watch cooking shows. I know, it's sad, isn't it? What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's pretty sad. We, we like to watch cooking shows, food network shows. You know, it was either that or American Pickers, and, and the food shows went out. But it's interesting, in this one particular show we were watching, they were told to always describe the food and then taste it, okay? Well, when they started to describe the food, they didn't say... Okay this hamburger is is ground chuck from a you know a black angus cow and it is you know 80% fat and uh, or 20% fat and 80% protein yeah it's probably more 80% fat actually you know they don't they don't describe the nature of the hamburger they start describing the taste and and the characteristics of the hamburger but we want to focus right here for a few minutes on the nature of God this is who god is he is merciful what does that mean to you it means to me that he looks at me and he says you know i think i feel sorry for dennis sometimes i understand his situation so i'm going to be lenient here i'm going to show compassion on him i'm not going to hit him with a big sledgehammer which is what he deserves i'm going to show him mercy and that ties in, and it's, it's a very close connection between mercy and grace. But graciousness is this benevolent goodwill that God has for us. Aren't you glad we sing songs about amazing grace instead of amazing judgment? I mean, you know, aren't we glad that he's not like, what's the, um, what's the woman that's the judge on TV? Um, judge Judy. Now, man, when Judge Judy doesn't like somebody... She puts the hammer on him. Now, when you're watching as a you know, video uh, viewer, you kind of like that sometimes. But when God is dealing with you, do you want him to look at you and say, I kind of don't like you today, Kurt. Whack! You know, I didn't like what you did this morning, so I'm going to put the hammer on you. But a lot of people see God that way all the time. But basically, in the nature of God, he is gracious gracious. He wants the best for us, and he's willing to give us mercy, mercy, to show us mercy. Does that mean he will always show mercy? The is clear. There's coming a time when his mercy and his grace will come to an end, and judgment will be there for the people who continually, continually, continually reject his grace and mercy. Because his grace and mercy are bound up in Christ and the cross where Jesus substitutes himself and takes his judgment. All we have to do is receive that. It's so gracious, and so wonderful. He's patient with us, slow to anger. Sometimes when I drive, I just keep praying, why can't I have the nature of God? Because as I get older, I'm so much more impatient than I used to be, especially when I'm driving a car. I don't know. It's just something about it. There's this little thing that snaps. But God is slow to anger. He is patient with us. That's his nature. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to abound. And the fourth thing about his nature here that is the overriding principle is that God, and we know another Scripture says God is love. God is love. He is abounding in love. He is abounding in putting us before himself. Now, when you think again about who God is and all the things of his nature and all that he has done, the fact that he takes little insignificant tiny me or you and wants to put you above himself shows the abounding love of God. In Romans, Paul talks about the nature of God in this way, and he says... In verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, which tells me he understood there's so much to know about who God is. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul understood the vastness of God, the vastness of his nature, that we can't comprehend it, that we can't repay him, that we can't really counsel God. And yet how many times, folks, do we try to do that? We try to argue with God. We try to convince him that what we want is better than what he wants. We try to be his counselor you certainly don't want to do that, God. You certainly, that's not the way you want to approach this. How about we take a more casual approach to these things? And we want to be God's counselor. We want to tell him what to do. But Paul understood, and David understood, that God in his infinite power and in nature is the ultimate, as we're going to see when we get down to the way we respond to God. The second thing that this psalm is full of are the ways of God, his ways, which reflect his nature. They show us who God is by what he does. Now, there's many, many terms, and I remember having a series of sermons about this way back, where I took some of the Old Testament names of God and then explored them more carefully. When you talk about being God being a healer, verse 3, Jehovah Rapha, God being a provider, Jehovah Jireh. There's Jehovah Elohim, which means that he is the ruler of all. There's so many rich terms in the Old Testament that describe the ways of God by calling him different names. Sometimes that happens with with husbands. You lazy, you're lazy. (laughs) Different names (laughs) that happen to come out. This thing is really popping this morning. Maybe it's me. Is it me? It's probably me. Verse number three. God said, He forgives all your iniquity. God is a forgiver. God looks at us. We ask. We question. We say, God, please take this away. Take this punishment away. What does He do? He forgives. When we ask in the name of Jesus, it says that these things are removed as far as the east is from the west, they're taken away. As it says here in this scripture, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. What does that mean? Well, you go around the earth and they run into each other. No, it means that you keep going and they're infinitely far apart. And when God takes a sin away, he remembers it no more. Do we do that in our forgiveness with each other? We, ha- we, put it, we say, oh, I forgive you, and then we put it in a little box in our closet for later reference when we can pull it out again and hammer somebody with it. It tells us that God is our healer, verse number 3 as well. It says, who heals all your diseases... Now, we could get into a long debate about this. Why does he heal some people and he doesn't heal other people? Is it because of faith or whatever? The fact is that God has proven in many, many cases that he can heal and does heal. Again, we go back to his nature of wanting the best for us. But we also have to go back to his infinite wisdom where he decides, because he knows more than we do, in which situations he acts one way, and in another situation, he acts another way. But the power to heal is there. He is also our Redeemer. Now, this is very closely tied to Forgiver. Verse number four, which I uh, look at here, he says, He redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with youth, uh, steadfast love and mercy. Redeems your life. Now, what does it mean to redeem? Now, this is an old illustration back to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, when you bought your groceries, They used to give you stamps. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I see blank looks. One nodding head. My mom used to get green stamps or top value stamps were her favorites. Now, they were these little stickers, stamps, and you got books and you stuck them in the books. And when you got so many books, you went to a redemption store and you traded your books for appliances, you're looking at me like you're making this up, aren't you? This isn't real. Yes, it is. It's very real. We had we had stamp parties. This is really stupid, isn't it? But people would save their stamps. They would save their stamps and save their stamps and put them in the books. And I've done a lot of licking and sticking the books. Maybe the chemicals from that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit weird, you know. <laughs> stuck them in the books, and then they would use. The, they would come together and collect the books. And then they would buy something for the church that the church needed sometimes or a charity would need. But mostly people would get things for themselves like a new mixer, you know, a new uh, bedspread. The redemption store was kind of like a department store. They had a lot of stuff in there. But they redeemed. They took something and redeemed it for something else. He took us from the pit of our own sin and our own making, and he made us something better. He made us his children. We are the children of God. We are redeemed. We are lifted up from the pit. He changed us. So God is a redeemer. God is a provider. It says in verse number four and five or five, "He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I'm still waiting for that. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He re- provides for His people. He is a provider. Now, I know this This maybe I told this story once before. I don't remember. I, when you get old, you forget these things. But this was so cool. I had a lady come to me, and she said, I don't know what to do. I think I messed up. She said, my daughter wanted a gumball from one of those gumball machines. And she said, Mommy, I want a green one. And Mommy said, well, there's like eight colors in there. We don't know. The little girl said... I'm going to pray because I want God to give me a green one. So the mom's going, "Uh uh-oh, what do I do here? Because if she gets a yellow one, she's going to think the prayer doesn't work. And she's standing there thinking all this. In the meantime, the little girl's going, God, would you please give me a green one? So she puts the nickel in or whatever it was, turns the knob, and the mom's dreading when she opens the little lid and out rolls a green gumball, right? And the mom comes to me and she says, what, you know, did I make a mistake? Because should I have told her God didn't really do that? But maybe he did. Maybe he did provide because the child's faith brought it to be. Can we, can we leave the door open that, as the word of God tells us, that when we ask in faith, God will perform? That maybe the little girl's pure, innocent faith God intervened. I don't know if the angel sticks his finger in the gumball machine. I don't know if you have to wash the gumball now because the angel touched it. I don't know. But, you know, here is God providing a very simple thing. But God provides so much for us. And God is always at work providing for our needs. And he rewards us, the scripture tells us here, that he looks at his children who obey him, who keep his commandments, and he rewards them. Now, we don't do it for the reward. I hope you're not, you know, the only reason you're here this morning is you, I got to get my heavenly reward and and I'm keeping a chart how many times I'm in Sunday school. God keeps a record of these things. I actually had, you know, some people early in my childhood who kind of gave the impression that there was this big blackboard. Now it would be a whiteboard. Now it would be a computer screen, I guess, with a program on it. Everything you do, God's keeping a record of it. And if you do enough good stuff, erases the bad stuff. Yeah, okay, and at the end, well, you've got two more good than bad. We'll let you in, but you're way down here. But if you've got a lot more good than bad, we'll get you in the door and you're up high. You know, it's kind of that idea. And there are some religions that promote a salvation by works mentality. Let's get this clear, folks. God rewards us because of his grace. Because of our faith in what his son has done, we are redeemed, we are saved, our sins are forgiven, and out of gratitude for that, that's why we serve. That's why we're here. His reward is just because of his grace for us. He gives us participation ribbon, whether we, we deserve it or not, folks. It's kind of like today. He's also in verse number 19 through 22, he is a ruler. He's established his thrones in the heaven. His kingdom rules over all. The angels serve him. His hosts, his ministers serve him. In all places, he has dominion. What does that mean? He is the ruler of all. God is the ultimate king. Not some of the leaders in our world today, praise God, are not the rulers of all. God is still in control. And we need to understand that because our... Response to these things is what we want to focus on at the end here. Psalm 86, another psalm, David said, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart I will glorify your name forever. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. We want to understand who God is. We want to understand his ways so that we will walk in his truth so that we will fear him and follow him. And that brings us down to our response. The first thing we should respond to all these things about God's nature and his ways is, we should accept who we really are. Verse 14, David knew, he says, "'He knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. "'As for man, his days are like grass, "'he flourishes like a flower of the field, "'for the wind passes over it and it is gone.'" I'm talking about flowers. I'm talking about grass, green grass. Okay, got to get it clarified that now. We're almost in the into the legal stage, where grass means something different. We're talking about the grass of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. A couple of years ago, we took took Nora's parents to a reunion way over in what's the name of that place in Alberta? Just out of Vermilion. Vermilion, Alberta. And one of the cool things, we were passing lots of wheat fields, and Nora likes to make flower arrangements and stuff. So she said, "I'd like some of that green wheat." So I climbed through the barbed wire fence and was chased by a bull. No, I'm just making that up. And I, I cut some of the green, this green um, wheat, and we wrapped it up and put it in the back of the van, and we drove on, and we went. We got home. Guess what? The wheat was moldy and gross. It was ruined. Because once it was cut, the lifeblood was out of it. And he's talking about the flowers of the field. He's talking about the grass. It flourishes for a time. You, you cut the flowers. You put them in the vase. They look beautiful for a few days. You walk away. You come back, and all the leaves and the petals have fallen off because they're temporary. And our response to this understanding of who God is, we need to accept that we are temporary. We're like dust, folks. We're tiny. We're specks. We sometimes think we're the we're the head of the universe, but we're just little tiny specks. And yet what? We've already read, He loves us. He elevates us. He takes this little handful of dust that we are and elevates it over the life of His Son, over Himself, and that He sacrificed His Son for us. So we accept our lot that we're tiny and temporary. Which means then, when we see that, we see what God has done, then we receive his blessings with gratitude. We should be grateful that God looks on us like this. I don't know what I would do if I was God, but I would think, you know, when people are low-lifes and do stupid things, I might just kind of treat them the way I do when people do that on the road. I just look at them and I give them mean faces and, I you know, I, I blow the horn, I do... The, nah, I'm not that bad, but it's it's like... God looks at us in our tiny, infinite, finite state, and he blesses us. And we receive his blessings with faith. And we should respect and obey him as a result of that. Verse 17 and 18 says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Why do we keep our covenant with God? Why do we do the commandments of God? Because we recognize that he's God, and we're not. It should be very similar to when I was a child. Why did I obey my parents? Because they were my parents, and I was not. I was the kid. They were the parent. I believed there was a positioning there that I needed to respect. And I followed what they said, even when I didn't want to sometimes, because... I knew I'd probably be in trouble, but also because I love them and they love me. And I wanted them to know that. And how did I show them that? By being respectful and obeying them in situations when I didn't really want to. How do we show God our true worship? It's when we obey him, not out of fear, but out of love and respect for what he's done for us. And the final thing that our response is, we bless his name. We worship him like we did this morning, and we bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a chorus that we used to sing. I don't know if we still sing that one or not. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We worship him because we recognize who he is. We recognize his nature. We recognize what he's done. I wanted to close with just a quick illustration from John the fourth fourth chapter with Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, this is Jesus who is God in the flesh, and he's all alone with the woman at the well. And he shows in that short conversation, and you can read it for yourself in John 4, he knows all about her. Why? Because he's God. He didn't deal with her according to her sinfulness. He dealt with her according to grace. Other people wouldn't have even talked to her. She was an outcast. She was a Samaritan. She was an unclean woman in many ways. But he spoke to her. He asked her for water because he wanted to interact with her. He dealt with her in grace and mercy. And she responded to that. She went back into town and she said, come see the man who showed me everything I've ever done. And we know that she began to follow Jesus with her life because God, through Jesus, the son, d- dealt with her in his nature and in his ways of being a redeemer. He took her from what she was and wanted to make her something different. And that's how he deals with all of us. And we should come to him this morning with receiving that blessing, with praise, with respect, and with worship. Let's close with prayer. Father, we ask you this morning just to help us as we come to this communion to remember all that you've done, remember your ways remember your nature, and just obey you, Father, and respect you. Show that respect to you, and to let our lives reflect who we are in you, which is a redeemed child, a blessed one. Just guide us through this communion time and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.